Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson. Today we have Matthew Feenup, Executive Director of the Center of Economic Research and Forecasting at Cal Lutheran University in the studio. We've got a great show for you. As always, we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805 487 7847. Michael Anderson, Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson, bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to maranatha.com. And now here's your host, Michael Anderson. And welcome to the program. We've got a wonderful feature interview today I'm very excited about. It's Matthew Feenup of Cal Lutheran University. He's the executive director of the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting at Cal Lutheran University. He teaches courses in econometrics and environmental economics there at Cal Lutheran. He also uh, has specialties in applied economic metric analysis, the uh, economics of land use and environmental markets. Matthew's research examines the unintended consequences of urban containment policies. He's also the chair of the Fox Market Group. That was recently chosen by the Fox Canyon Groundwater Management Agency to serve as an exchange administrator for a very innovative and first-class kind of look at water markets as a pilot program. A little bit more, Matthew graduated summa cum laude from Brooks Institute of Photography, and he spent more than 15 years working as a professional climbing guide. And Matthew completed his doctorate in environmental economics at the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management at UC Santa Barbara. Matthew, thank you for being on the program today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Say econometrics five times fast. <laughs> it's a, that's a word. <laughs> well, let's start here. Before we jump into economics, tell us about rock climbing. You've spent 15 years or more now as a guide, as a rock climbing guide. I think that's fascinating. And uh, tell us about rock climbing. Yeah, so I had the pleasure of... Uh, migrating here to Ventura County in 1999 uh, and that the purpose of my moving here was to start a commercial climbing school that was really based in the Ojai and Santa Barbara areas uh, and you know the landscape here is just incomparable uh, this is such a beautiful place to climb and an incredibly beautiful place to uh, teach climbing uh, so that's an, a really uh, important part of, of my past and, and even I still do a little guiding these days Right on. That's phenomenal. Well, before we jump into a lot of the economic stuff, I want to I, I want to talk about Cal Lutheran. So Cal Lutheran, I've had the president of Cal Lutheran, Chris Kimball, on the program, yeah. a few other uh, folks from Cal Lutheran, and and now you as the um, executive director for the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting. Some listeners may not know what that center is. Yeah. Tell us about the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting. Yeah. So we call it SURF, C-E-R-F, uh, and SURF. Um, was founded as a forecasting house. So we, to this day, still produce quarterly 
U.S. and California economic forecast publications. So we forecast a number of macroeconomic variables for the state and for the nation. And then we also do annual forecasts for Ventura County and also for the San Fernando Valley. So that forecast work uh, is really what the reputation of SURF is built on. Uh, in fact, my predecessor, Bill Watkins, uh, the former executive director, and my colleague, Dan Hamilton, won an amazing award uh, two years ago where they were chosen by the National Association of Business Economists as the second most accurate U.S. quarterly forecast in the United States, uh, second among 89 professional forecasting houses. So that's sort of the core work that they've been doing for years and that I get to be a part of. Uh, and then I really have a strong policy interest. So my background is applied to policy, policy analysis. I'm interested in groundwater management, environmental markets, um, uh, urban growth policies. Uh, and so that's uh, uh, what I've sort of brought to SURF is a strong policy orientation. And in the last two or three years, we've gotten to be involved in some really exciting things, um, creating, as you mentioned, one of the first of its kind groundwater markets here in Ventura County. And uh, now we're actually working on um, policy solutions to the housing affordability crisis in Ventura County. Very cool. I think it's phenomenal. I've read some of the articles you've done. I've seen you speak at other events. You're quoted often in the, the local newspapers here. So it's a it's a treat to speak with you about this. And what I thought we would do is start big picture and then maybe drill down into Ventura County. And so we can start with let's start with the tariffs. And and I know there was an article that you wrote recently um, you know, that economists agree on one thing. And I want to ask you about that article. But before we jump into that specifically, talk to me about tariffs. But from the perspective of, of Trump's side, from from his perspective, what is the rationale of why the tariffs are a good thing for America? Okay, so let's start there. Okay, so to be clear, yeah. there is nothing good about tariffs. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, but but I, I will try and capture what I perceive to be the, the perception. Uh, and that is, um, I think that... Um, policymakers um, sometimes treat international trade as a zero-sum game, uh, that if a job goes overseas uh, and, uh, for example, uh, a manufacturing job, right, and there's no doubt that in the short term there can be a, a significant displacement. There can be an individual employee that's harmed because that job moved overseas. Um, and uh, But the assumption is that that that's just a total net loss, right? That that there is no gain, and that society is not better off. That we've actually uh, that it's a you know it's sort of a, a war, and we're losing, right? Uh, but the reality is that um, that international trade, right, represents a series of voluntary transactions that make both parties to the transaction better off. Right? When we choose to buy a product manufactured overseas, we're doing so because it creates greater value for us than a corresponding product manufactured here. Uh, and so while there are short-term displacements, and there may be individuals who are personally um, you know, suffering harm as a result of that, there is no doubt that, um, that, that the economy is bigger and that, that our society is wealthier and more prosperous because of that international trade. Right. Uh, and so, so anyway, so I, I think that the... What's what, the perspective, though? Why, well, why, so, so what's happening is I think side, they're focusing think? on that one individual that's displaced. So, for example, um, many listeners will know that uh, the administration imp very recently imposed a uh, 25% tax on imported steel. There are 140,000 employees currently in the steel manufacturing, in, in steel production business, right? And so this is a policy that is designed to ensure 
the livelihood of those 140,000 employees. It turns out that there's six and a half million employees by industry uh, estimates um, in steel-dependent industries. So in this case, uh, the 25% steel tariff um, immediately increased prices of all steel, right? They're up more than 35% since the president took office. Uh, and we are threatening 6.5 million jobs uh, in steel-dependent industries um, as a result uh, of trying to uh, provide for those 140,000 jobs here in the States. So let's let's talk about this. So you, we, mm -hmm. let's jump into your article, and then I have yeah. a few questions I'll ask you as well. But so your article says economists do agree on something. Yeah. Okay, and, and you're speaking about the tariffs. Talk to us about the tariffs and uh, how they agree yeah. on, on well, that first, being Well, first, just to thing. set this up to give you a yeah. sense uh, just how remarkable the unanimity around international trade is among economists. Uh, you know, the old joke uh, is uh, uh, people will ask, what's the first law of economists, right? The first law of economists uh, is that for every economist, there's an equal and opposite economist. As the joke goes, what's the second law of economists? They're both wrong. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, economists are, are you know, universally uh, derided for, for the, the fact that there might be two completely contrary viewpoints that can't coexist. Somebody's wrong, right? Well, it turns out in the case of international trade, there's tremendous unanimity. There have been a number of surveys of American economists um, that sort of reveal just how widely viewed um, the benefits of free trade are. So uh, I would cite University of Chicago studies in 2012, 2016, and 2018. Um, those surveys of professional economists asked about attitudes about free trade. And in the first one, 2012, 98% of economists agreed that in that, in that survey, Americans were better off because of NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. In 2016 and 2018, 100% of professional economists agreed that uh, tariffs are bad, that they actually make Americans worse, worse off. I mean, I understand that to a point, yeah. but the, the yeah. thing I guess I'm hearing that I yeah. wonder about mm -hmm. is that we're such consumers in America. Yeah. So we consume, yeah. so we buy more yeah. than anybody else buys. Uh -huh. And so that creates this trade deficit. Ah, so I'm, I'm just glad, I'm just, I'm glad so, you asked. So right. I want to, you so, know. So, so one of the things that policymakers focus on is they actually trade on what, they, they focus on what's called the current, um, account deficit, right. which is actually the trade in goods and services. And there's no doubt that we run a deficit in the case of China, um, a substantial deficit in terms of the current account, the value of goods and services exported and the value of goods and services imported. But what people don't count is that we have a, f a tremendous uh, trade surplus in our financial account right, that necessarily those funds must be coming back into the U.S. And what China's actually doing is it's underwriting U.S. debt, right? It's buying U.S. Treasury bonds and actually making it much, much, much cheaper for you and I to buy a house, to buy a car, for the government to spend itself into trillion-dollar deficits. Uh, so it's actually underwriting U.S. debt. And we have a tremendous surplus in that financial account. That must be the case. Uh, if it weren't the case that the, f that the deficit in the financial account um, among all countries, equaled the the uh, trade deficit in the current account, mm -hmm. then we would actually have um, adjustments in the relative value of currencies, which would slow um, uh, imports, right? So this thing has to be in balance, and it's a critical to keep in mind there's a financial account and a goods and services account. 
Well, let's jump over now. So this is good. And we'll talk about another article that you wrote, which uh, talks about tax reform. Yeah. So the recent article is called The Benefits of Tax Reform. Yeah. Give us an overview of this article. Yeah. So uh, in December, um, the president signed uh, after um, the Republican uh, Senate and House passed uh, fundamental reforms to the corporate tax system. There were some personal income tax changes as well, but the ones that we really view as a positive for U.S. growth and U.S. jobs are the corporate tax changes. Uh, and so what's important to realize when you consider these changes is that the old corporate tax system, the one that was in place in December of last year, uh, put U.S.-based companies at a significant disadvantage relative to their foreign competitors. And, that's, uh, and, and so there's a couple features. There's a couple reasons that's true. First, we had the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Uh, and so that a tax is a cost of doing business, and that means U.S. companies uh, had a higher cost of doing business. In addition to having the highest corporate tax rate in the world, if a U.S. company earned income overseas, even if it was earned in a place that had a much lower tax rate, they had to pay the full U.S. corporate tax rate when they brought those earnings home. So what that meant was that it, the cost of doing business for a U.S. company was more expensive than the cost of doing business if you were, say, an Irish company, right, which had a tax right. rate a third of ours. Uh, and so this put a significant uh, disadvantage for U.S. companies. So there's three pieces to the reform that were meaningful. We reduced the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21 percent. That's still above the European Union average. Uh, that doesn't make us a low-tax country. Right. It merely makes us an average one. Also, very importantly, it converts us to what's called a, a uh, territorial tax system. If you earn income in Ireland as a U.S. company, you don't actually have to pay the full 21% when you bring the income mm -hmm. back to the States. You just pay the Irish rate. You pay the rate where it was earned. Uh, and so what that means is that countries are now free, or, or the U.S. companies are now free to um, earn money abroad and bring that money back to the States. What we actually saw under the old system was that uh, countries were storing trillions of dollars in profits in, in overseas financial accounts to avoid bringing it back to avoid paying um, the full U.S. corporate tax rate. So this goes a long way towards, um, towards leveling the playing field for U.S. companies. Uh, it should also end the practice of in tax inversions where companies like Burger King would become a Canadian company so that they could uh, <laughs> benefit from the, the favorable Canadian corporate tax system. Uh, and then uh, one really nice feature too, the third feature I guess, is the repatriation of foreign earnings. Those trillions of dollars held overseas can be brought back uh, and, and just paid a one-time uh, tax that's, that's lower on those. Uh, and so we already hear announcements by Apple they're going to bring tens of billions of dollars home, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, Ventura County-based Amgen announced plans to bring tens of billions of dollars in foreign earnings back. And so all of this is good uh, for the U.S. economy. It means there'll be greater investment in the United States, it, which, uh, which ultimately means faster growth and more jobs. I think that's interesting. I think that's well stated as well. It's interesting to hear you talk about the article yeah. as opposed to when I was reading it. Uh -huh. So, I, you know, as far as learning from auditory yeah. or versus, yeah. you know, reading <laughs> for me. Yeah. So hey, I like what you have to say. Thanks. Hey, <laughs> and if I can just add one thing about, yeah. about what this means for our forecast, because that's, oh, that's, that's important, uh, yeah. is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's important to realize surf forecast publications have been pessimistic relative to the consensus. We've been pessimistic relative to the, na the National Association of Business Economists 
consensus, the one you read about in the paper, the Wall Street Journal consensus, we've uh, been forecasting growth over the last decade uh, almost uh, six-tenths of a percent below what other economists have been forecasting. It turns out it's paid to be pessimistic over the last decade. Uh, the economic data has actually been coming in below SURF's own pessimistic forecasts. Mm. That's to say the consensus was wildly optimistic. Uh, but with corporate tax reform, we've actually had to revise our forecasts upward uh, and so we're actually expecting faster growth uh, over the next two years than we were forecasting just a few months ago. Wow, that's interesting. So you're less pessimistic yep. than before, yep. but still pessimistic? Yeah, or? and so to throw, throw some numbers at it, the, the historic average growth rate since World War II was about 3.5%. Uh, that's an appealing number um, because it actually means the economy doubles in size every generation. Our kids will be twice as prosperous as we will be. We've only been growing at 1.9% average since the recession. Uh, and um, we're actually, we're forecasting uh, an increase to about 2.6% growth from 1.9. We're not back to that historic average because of other things, policies which constrain growth, but it is definitely a more optimistic forecast. And this is national GDP that you're talking about. So it's not the stock market. It's not Ventura County. Well, let's go into Ventura County now. So let's talk about the current state of our economy here and, you know, talk to us about where we are now and where we're headed. Yeah. So, um, the last year has been a really shocking one, and uh, uh, not least of which because of uh, a tremendous natural disaster. You know, the fire uh, and the impact that it had on lives in Ventura County uh, and on the housing stock. Um, and so it's been a shocking year. If it weren't for the fire, the biggest economic story of last year actually would have been um, the most recent economic data for Ventura County. Last summer, um, the Commerce Department released its annual numbers for Ventura County which actually showed that in 2016, the most recent year for which there's data, uh, the Ventura County economy is estimated to have suffered a significant recession where the size of the economy shrank by 3%. Uh, There were also downward revisions to 2014 and 15. And if you put those three years together, 14, 15, and 16 are currently the worst three years uh, for which we have data uh, uh, in the Ventura County economy. Mm -hmm. They are worse even than the financial crisis and the Great Recession. Uh, and so that would have been the biggest story. Um, you know, one of the questions is why? Why is um, is uh, Ventura County's economy flagging in those years? Uh, and a big part of that is uh, declines that we've seen in non-durable manufacturing. Mm-hmm. People may not realize Ventura County is actually a manufacturing economy. Uh, right. It's the biggest single industry sector, uh, and it shrank by more than a billion dollars in 2016. Uh, and what employers are telling us in that sector is that one of the main constraints on doing business is the lack of housing affordability. Mm-hmm. Homes are so expensive because we don't build anything um, that they can't attract and retain skilled labor. Uh, And so those jobs, and in some cases those companies, are fleeing the county. And that's a big part of that decline. This is where we worry about the fire. The fire will further impact the housing stock. You know, unfortunately, uh, a thousand homes were destroyed uh, just in a matter of days. Uh, And, you know, that's that's many thousands of lives impacted. Uh, And so we worry about um, that how that will compound um, the problems that Ventura County was already confronted with. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. We saw Amgen uh, mm-hmm. build this big office building in Tampa, Florida. Right. They're sending a lot of folks there, asking if they'd like to go there. And they're also giving them a 15% reduction in their salary. But what they're finding is that, that their quality of life is going to be actually better 
yep. than it is here from affordability. So yep. they'll be able to yeah. afford more of a bigger house and have more discretionary income. And yep. so yeah, it's so a theme that is interesting. It puts yeah. a lot of pressure on doing business here. Yep. And what this means for, for the Ventura County residents that are here and have jobs is that in many cases, um, and this is true, uh, this is a personal story for me with, with our family, is that we've had to commute farther and farther from home in order to find jobs that pay salaries sufficient to own homes here. A lot of the jobs that, impro- that have been produced in Ventura County since the recession are actually in the two lowest paying sectors of the economy. They don't pay enough that you can live here. And so many of those residents are commuting into the county from LA, from LA County, in some cases from the Antelope Valley, mm. uh, in order to, uh, uh, because they can't live here and they have to uh, drive in. Well, that's that's great. And, I, you know, we're going to continue. We could talk about this a lot more, but I want to get into uh, real quickly. Friends and listeners have questions and they have children in school. They're wondering what they should study. Yeah. Where is the job security of the future? Oh, goodness. Uh, what's just quickly? <laughs> what's what's your thought well, on that? Yeah. So uh, this is this is stepping outside my area of expertise. Uh, but but what I will say is maybe I'll take a minute to plug uh, the program that I, I have the privilege of teaching in uh, is that we teach. Uh, I'm, I am an instructor in the Master's in, in, of Science in Quantitative Economics uh, at California Lutheran University. We have highly motivated um, students uh, across a range of professions um, seeking hardcore quantitative training. Uh, and we're really hearing from the, the students that we place in jobs that they're, that they're employed, and, and we're placing at Google and other, mm. um, high, you know, uh, Spotify, high, IBM, high-profile employers, um, that, that those employers highly value quantitative skills. Yeah, that's the buzzword there. Yeah. Let's jump into quickly, and we're short on time here, but I didn't want to, you know, exit the interview without talking about groundwater management. Yeah. You know, big word, we're hearing it more and more. Yep. Maybe we'll have you back for interview just on groundwater management. Cool. But what is groundwater management? Just give our listeners a brief overview. Yeah, so, uh, and there's exciting news uh, to temper my other comments about Ventura County. There's real exciting news for Ventura County. So groundwater, you know, groundwater, uh, obviously, is a critical natural resource. Uh, if you're in Ventura County, um, about 80% of our water comes from groundwater, uh, at least in w- the western part of the county, uh, and just a little bit comes from from surface water streams. And so that means that much of the water that we comes out of our tap, that waters our crops, uh, is coming out of the ground, right? And it is it is a finite resource, uh, and especially on account of the five-year drought, um, there's been uh, significant declines in groundwater levels. So groundwater management is just the policies that are used to manage that scarce resource. Uh, and in Ventura County, we are really uh, at the very forefront of groundwater management across the state. Uh, just this year, we implemented a policy where uh, agricultural pumpers will have uh, cellular-based hardware telemetry attached to their meters, reading groundwater uh, extraction in real time, transmitting that data to the cloud. It's the highest level of uh, regulatory oversight anywhere in California. Uh, and we're really a leader in that sense. That's actually uh, was created to support the creation of a groundwater market, uh, which is another real innovative policy sl- solution. So this is an area where Ventura County is really leading. Fascinating. And our feature interview today has been Matthew Finup uh, for the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting. He's the executive director there. You can connect with the Center of, for Economic Research or Matthew online. Go to cluerf.org. And we'll also have the link on our show notes. Matthew, thank you for being on the program today. My pleasure. (laughs) 
What's in the news? This segment is brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance, golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. We have Tim Gallagher, the former editor of the Ventura County Star, as our news correspondent. It's great to have you on the program, Tim. What's in the news this week? You know, Mike, everybody wants to have uh, parole programs for prisoners, but uh, not in their backyard, you know? And there's one of those that's been proposed in, in outside Camarillo where they, the state would do a, a training program for parolees to train them in firefighting and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and they had a meeting about it in Camarillo the other night, and more than 100 people came out to show up. And uh, uh, to use a bad pun, they wanted to burn the place down. Oh, um, it, it's a $26 million facility they'd be building out there by the CYA in Camarillo. They would handpick the uh, inmates who would be placed at this agency so that it wouldn't just be, you know, your, your, your run-of-the-mill parolee. Um, but the people in Camarillo are saying, uh-uh, not here. Go stick it out there in the desert somewhere. Other people say, look, this is the best way to keep these guys from coming back into jail. Give them a skill. Give them a, something that they could train for once they get out of jail. So uh, we haven't heard the end of it, but it doesn't sound like people in Camarillo are very, very hot to trot on this, Mike. Well, it is, it is interesting. I'll just add my opinion real quick. I, I teach at the CYA. I'm adjunct faculty yeah. for Ventura College, oh. and uh, I think they already have a fire program there. It seems like a natural fit, and there's a lot of land, and wouldn't be a bad idea at all, in my opinion. That's just uh, that's just me, though. But, uh, hey, what else, what else you got for us today, Tim? Well, Cal Fire came out with their report on the Thomas Fire. You know, in the midst of it, we heard all kinds of numbers about how many— Structures were destroyed, and what the damage looked like, and uh, now they've come out with their final report saying that there were 1,343 buildings damaged or destroyed in the Thomas Fire last year, and by far, Mike, 80% of those were homes, uh, 1,063. Most, most of those in the city of Ventura, they're still putting a dollar figure on this thing, but you know we're sure that the dollars from the Thomas Fire damage are going to run into hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow. And that's what's in the news this week with Tim Gallagher. You can learn more at the2020network.com. Tim, thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Mike. Talk to you next week. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Moving on to our Nonprofit Spotlight. Each week we highlight a local nonprofit doing good work in our community, Today's nonprofit spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Today we have Tom Spence. He is co-hosting the Relay for Life here in Ventura. That's coming up on Cinco de Mayo. Tom, first let's talk about the Relay for Life. What is the Relay for Life? A lot of people know, but some people don't. What is the Relay for Life? It's a 24-hour walk where you take a team of 10 to 12 people, so somebody is always on the track. What we like to have is everybody camping over and everybody staying together. Now, team members can come and go as they will, but there's more team building if people actually stay at the track, so you always have somebody on the track. Typically, somebody will walk an hour, then another teammate an hour. So if you have 12, everybody's going to walk two hours, and you'll split it up. But it's a lot of fun. There's great music. Uh, it raises funds, obviously, for the American Cancer Society. My wife is a survivor. Many people have survivors in their family, and we would love to see you out there. There's a lot going on. There's games. It's really great bonding, and uh, last year I walked uh, 52 and a half miles. Wow. 
And is it too late for someone to sign up if they want to walk on a team or if they want to, you know, sponsor an event or just be there? How can someone get involved? Is it too late? What's the what's the thought there? You can call up the morning show if you'd like to be part of the KBTA Walk the Talk Relay for Life team. We have a bunch of people on it. Uh, but the more the merrier, and especially the walkers who come in at 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 in the morning, those are our favorites. <laughs> and and that event uh, is taking place on May 5th. It's 10 a.m. Um, to 10 a.m. 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. Saturday to Sunday. Okay, fantastic. How can the community give us you know a little bit more information on um, maybe the how much funds, or do you have a goal of what you want to raise this year and previous years, what you've raised? Last year was rough because the weather was horrible. So we couldn't do the luminarias, which are the nice, uh, the bags that you see that have uh, glow sticks in them. And it's really beautiful as they, they line the track all the way around. You have close to a quarter mile of these bags. It was tough last year. We were at about $50,000. This year, with good weather and good people, we're going to raise $100,000. Our team goal is about $3,000. We have um, 40 some teams, and some are overperformers as always and some others come in with a nice amount of cash but every single dollar obviously goes towards the cause so that our main major goal for the whole group is one hundred thousand dollars and i'd like to thank ojai beautiful city of ojai for joining us in ventura and the relay for life taking place may 5th uh, you can still sign up you can still individually sign up or come join a team you can learn more online just Google or Facebook Relay for Life in Ventura. Everyone's been touched by cancer in some way, shape, or form. And if you're uh, feeling inspired, go ahead and, uh, and support the effort or sign up. And that does it for this week's program. Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. A special thank to Team Boyd & Associates for providing home security to Southern California and Greg Mock from the GEICO local office. If you have questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me at Marinette. Com. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Or give me a call, 805-665-3767. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and join us again next time. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805-665-3767. Do you ever question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately, 805-665-3767.